Hello, and welcome to Bottom Line. I'm Cindy Keynes. We have a very informative show for you today. We're going to be talking about ADHD and OCD. And we're going to learn a little bit more what those acronyms mean, but I'd like to first introduce my guest for today's show. She's a therapist at the Birmingham Maple Clinic, Dr. Brooke Weingarten. Welcome, Dr. Hi. Weingarten. Thank you so much for having me. So hopefully, you know, I, I used some acronyms at the beginning, um, but can you talk to us about, let's, we're going to start maybe with ADHD first. And I know that ADHD started off as maybe AD, attention deficit. Can you talk a little bit about maybe when it was AD and then how the HD started coming into the picture of it? So ADHD or ADD um, really are one in the same. Um, previously said attention deficit disorder. Um, and now it's attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody has all of those symptoms um, because now the way that they look at it, it's ADHD and then um, they're given a specifier. So you might have an inattentive type or you might have a hyperactive type or you might even have the combined type where you have a little bit of both. Um, and those are just sort of the primary piece that adds into the inattention and executive functioning challenges that you might have with this disorder, um, which is very similar to the ADD. I think they really just changed the way that they were writing it out um, because they used to write ADD versus ADHD. It's the same thing. Right. So if we talk about, and like you said, that's great to know that it could be more attention, could be hyperactivity or mm -hmm. a little bit of both. Let's talk maybe um, in children and then maybe we can talk about as it as it may relate to adults and so on, um, what kind of signs and symptoms might you look at in a child um, or, you know, even your young, you know, your child or baby as they start growing a little bit older and, you know, teens and things like that, what might you be looking for that seems a little bit out of the, the norm and that might fall into one of those categories? So that's important that you said that out of the norm, because certainly lots of people have some symptoms of many things. And it's important to remember that if it is outside of the spectrum of the, the norm or the usual, or if it's enough that it's causing um, challenges in everyday life, that's when it really is something that you want to explore. Because certainly everyone can be forgetful sometimes. Everyone can, you know, get a little off track, but that's not necessarily somebody that has ADHD. Um, when you're a child that's growing up, you know, you might notice, certainly for the hyperactive type, that's easier to recognize, you know, somebody that um, just can't be still, they feel like they have no control over their body. Um, they're sort of like a bull in a china shop, knocking things over, um, spilling things frequently, uh, saying things totally without thinking about it, which is that impulsivity piece, um, running like they're in a motor, talking fast. Um, sometimes irritable, um, highly reactive to things, um, where sometimes it might seem like they don't have empathy because they're doing things and saying things that might not be kind, but not really meaning to hurt somebody. You know, that's more of that hyperactive piece. And then, you know, if somebody is more inattentive, you start to notice that more in school age where they're struggling to comprehend in school. Um, they're having a harder time organizing, um, staying on task, you know, maybe doing homework and forgetting to turn it in, um, losing things, you know, even socially sort of not staying on top of uh, what people are trying to say. Parents are telling you to do things lots of times and you're just getting totally derailed. 
So, you know, when we, when people are watching the show and we, you know, as we use the word, maybe a little bit out of the norm, a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that. Um, when it comes to some of those things, maybe attention uh, we could talk about, because that maybe is, a, is um, one of the ways, as you mentioned, you know, with homework or doing things, how do you kind of facilitate and figure out what's, you know, I really don't, you know, nobody really likes to do homework, kids and, you know, things like that. So how do you figure out, okay, it's more, hey, they're just being a child, then this is something maybe we should look more into. Well, and that's a really important thing. And if there's ever question, if you're ever wondering, you know, hey, like, is this out of the norm? It's never inappropriate to address that, bring that up to your doctor and say, hey, this is what I'm seeing what do you think about that? And sometimes they'll say, you know, that sounds kind of like normal kid activity. Or the teacher may say, you know, he's a little forgetful. He's a little antsy in the seat. He's a little hard time, but we can reel it in. We can redirect, you know, kind of easily. He's able to, she's able to compensate. You know, it's really how much it's affecting that day to day. Um, how hard is it to get through that homework? If it's 10 minutes of homework and it's taking you three hours to get through it because you're up and down and up and down and you can't really get to that point of processing, you know, that certainly is much more effort than it needs to be. Um, you also want to make sure that, you know, if it's taking three hours to do 10 minutes of work, is it because maybe there's a, a reading challenge or a math, um, you know, disability or, you know, trouble with vision or hearing, you know, there may be something else that's going on that's getting in the way of ability to, to comprehend and to process. And so that's part of the workup when we're looking at, you know, children with attentional issues. Is this something else going on? Is there something we need to be supporting in a different way? Or is this something that's more an executive functioning processing, you know, attentional issue? Right. And I, and I want to ask this in a, in a certain way. Um, I know our teachers aren't therapists um, and that they have so many children and so many amazing responsibilities that they handle at one time. It's incredible. Um, is the teacher a, a resource that maybe parents could ask? Are you seeing something, you know, um, so that maybe they can help just kind of give a different perspective, you know, since they Definitely. may see their child during the day? Well, right. Because, you know, we I always tell people ADHD is not necessarily just a school thing. Um, a lot of parents want to only treat it during school times because that's where kids are most of the time. But because your child spends so much time in school, your teacher has a unique opportunity to really observe them in social and academic setting. Um, and so I think it's a good resource. Now, they're not able to necessarily say your child has ADHD because clinically, you know, that's not their expertise and they really can't comment to that, but they may be able to say they're struggling a little bit in this subject or, you know, we really have to keep them at the front of the class because they get distracted easily or, you know, we're working on reading and I can see that they're really having a hard time with processing. And so they can definitely give you a good um, observation of what they're seeing, of what they're experiencing with your child. Um, and that can help, you know, bringing that information to your doctor to say, hey, this is what the teacher's seeing. This is what we're seeing. What do you think's going on here? Okay. So to talk about if, you know, you have a concern, you talk to your doctor about it and so on, what is some of the um, treatments or tests or how do they start, you know, kind of going through and determining you know, is it, is it attention? Is it hyperactivity? And mm -hmm. how would it be treated? 
So ADHD is a unique um, diagnosis in that it's one of the very few diagnoses that we have in psychiatry, psychology, and mental health that, you know, the first line of treatment for that really is a medical treatment, is medication. Um, there are other sort of additional things that we can do to support children and adults with with ADHD, including, you know, making sure you're setting yourself up for success. You know, if you're a child sitting closer to the front so that you don't have the whole classroom of, you know, kids to distract you, maybe not sitting next to your chatty friends, um, taking tests in a quieter space, sometimes having a little extra time. Sometimes they'll do things where they can, you know, have somebody write out your assignments each day so that you don't forget what they are. Um, checking in with the teachers, you know, there's different behavioral organizational things that can be helpful <clears throat> in sort of staying organized and working on those skills, which really are skills that will take you throughout your life to learn how to be organized and to learn how to sort of compensate with some of these challenges. But, you know, when you're really looking at treatment, medication is the first line of treatment. So if you are wondering if this is something that's going on, the first thing you'll do is, you know, oftentimes the first line is the pediatrician or the family practice doctor. Um, or if you already have a psychiatrist or a therapist, you may go to them. Um, it really is a clinical diagnosis. So you technically don't have to do a psychological battery of testing. Some people like to do it so that they can get extra supports. And sometimes it helps as far as, you know, an IEP or a 504 extra supports in school. So people will get um, psychological testing, which includes certain specific types of questionnaires and tests that they might do to rule out or rule in ADHD versus other things like anxiety or, or things that might look like ADHD. So if there's sort of question, you know, it looks like this, but it could also be something else, that's when, you know, those tests can be really helpful in clarifying. Um, but really, if you're looking just for, for treatment, um, you can go see your, your doctor, your, you know, pediatrician or your psychiatrist, and based on the clinical history and development and what you're seeing in multiple settings at home and at school and socially and academically, um, they may recommend a medication. And if that happens and, and your child takes a medication and, you know, prescribed by the doctor and so forth, um, one question I would think as a parent is, will my or can my child grow out of it? You know, just because they're experiencing it, you know, when they're younger, will they always have this the rest of their life? And that's a common question that I get from parents, you know, quite often. And really what we've seen is about 70% of people with um, ADHD, especially the hyperactive kind, um, tend to grow out of those symptoms into adulthood. Um, and adulthood is usually like post-college because college can really be a stressful time in general. So, you know, people want to make sure that they're still as focused as they can be. Um, but I would say about 70 people tend to grow out of their symptoms or if they have that hyperactivity that usually will calm. Um, and so I don't know how much of that is maturity or the brain development or, or all of the above, um, but that does seem to improve. There certainly is a good, you know, 20, 30% of people that still do have symptoms and may continue to need treatment. There are some people that know that they have symptoms and find more behavioral ways of compensating. Um, and then there are some, you know, adults that come in and say, oh my goodness, my kids are getting treated. I recognize all of these symptoms. 
holy cow, like, this is me. I can't believe I haven't treated this my whole life. And then they get treatment too. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is so great. Yep. And that's a perfect segue because my next question was going to deal with as we transition to adults and that. One of the questions I did want to ask, um, is it possibly hereditary or genetic? Absolutely. So we definitely see a lot of um, genetics. You know, a lot of times when kids will come in with a lot of ADHD symptoms, I then will go and say, tell me about mom and dad. Tell me about brother and sister, aunts and uncles. And, and you will very frequently see that um, that there is that family history. And, you know, I always explain to people that we share lots of things in our genetics, you know, the positives, the less positives, and the good thing is we know what to look for. And, you know, as far as treatments, just, just as much as the diagnosis is genetic, response to medication and response to treatment can also be genetic. So that's a really positive thing. If one family, you know, everybody does well on a particular medicine, that makes me feel good that maybe that particular medicine will also be good for my patient. And how, how as a therapist, would you handle maybe a sensitive situation where they bring their child in and, and maybe there's some challenges that they're dealing with, with ADHD and um, you, you, you know, you can see it or the parents, you know, but they want to say, no, 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 I don't, I don't have it. I don't have those symptoms. I'm not, I, you know, how, how do you, the, I guess maybe the denial of maybe that happening. Well, sometimes there is. And I think that, you know, I, we see that with all different diagnoses with parents and you can really only do so much about that. You know, if there's a, a patient that's struggling and you see similar characteristics in the parent, sometimes you can gently say, does this, you know, some of these things look familiar, but because they're not our specific patient, you really can't say, I think you have this and we need to do X, Y, and Z. Um, but a lot of times if I'm working with, you know, one, one patient and I'm seeing either ADHD or, or any diagnosis and I'm recognizing similar challenges with a parent, I might say, you know, this seems like there's a lot going on. It seems like this is a challenge for you as well. Let's make sure you're getting support with hopes that if, if the parent can also get support, that their person who they're working with can then be like, you know, I'm noticing a lot of this. But sometimes it just sort of comes around that the child ends up doing much better and really seeing improvement. And then the parent's like, you know, this really feels familiar and I'm seeing so much of me in this. And why didn't I think of that before? And then it opens up an opportunity for treatment there. Sure. They could start seeing maybe some parallels, you know, mm -hmm. from their childhood or, you know, or in, how it affects them in adulthood too. I was just going to say, if we look at maybe someone who's an adult um, mm -hmm. and they're not, they're on their own, they're not there because of their child or anything. How do you differentiate? Because, you know, I know you mentioned, you know, out of the norm, we talked about that at the beginning of the show, how do you differentiate um, attention deficit or hyperactivity from someone who um, is a type A or who has lots of energy or, you know, the, the, the leg is always going. Um, I can be, you know, guilty of that one or, you know, how do you say to people look, you know, I remember I had a psychology class in college and they said, don't read, you know, if you read something, <laughs> right. everything you read, yes. but how do you know this says, you know, maybe myself as an adult, maybe I need to look at it or someone, you know, and, and how does somebody know as an adult when it's a little too much and you should seek so maybe some help? I mean, I th that's a very good question to be bringing up. And I think a lot of it has to do with how much it's affecting functioning. Mm 
Um, you know, like somebody might be a leg bouncer and they might be going, you know, fast and getting all the type of, you know, but it might work for them. And that's great. And, and, you know, there's some people that have ADHD and that works for them based on the career that they choose. That might be something that is a really good thing for them. So whatever the symptoms are, if it's something that's affecting functioning as a human adult, you know, if you're forgetting to pick your kids up from school, if you're, mm -hmm. you know, falling behind at work, if you're, you know, always running late, you're not making it to do the things you need to be doing. You feel like you're always 10 steps behind. Um, if you're finding that you're getting in trouble for certain things and you're impulsive and, you know, if, if things are affecting your life in multiple settings, if your spouse or partner says to you, you know, I'm, I'm sort of concerned, these are things that like, maybe you should look into it's not you know to be offensive it's not a bad thing to sort of ask your health professional and say hey what do you think about this and if you're even wondering a little it's never a stupid question to ask right and like you said it may be something that works for someone whatever their mm -hmm. lifestyle is or career and and so on yeah. and that just has worked for them and 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 they that's fine then and right um at the beginning of the show, we talked about not only ADHD, but we said we're going to talk a little bit about OCD, um, obsessive compulsive disorder. Can you also um, kind of give us an idea when someone might want to seek treatment? What are maybe some signs and symptoms of being OCD where it's a little bit more than the norm or a little too far gone? Right. So OCD can be a very challenging um, diagnosis because there's a lot, you know, it's sort of a wide spectrum. There's certainly people that'll say I'm so OCD, meaning to say that they're very organized or need things to be just so. And that could be more of a personality type. There certainly is an obsessive compulsive personality type or a personality trait. And that's fine. If, you know, that's when it's something that works for you and you're just recognizing, hey, this is this this is what I'm like. I like things clean. I need things organized. But just like with any diagnosis, um, it becomes a DSM diagnosis when the symptoms are affecting your functioning. So if, if you need things to be a certain way or you need a certain organization or you have to count to a certain number or have to touch things in a certain way to the point that it's making you late for work or school or, you know, you're taking the contents of your bag in and out and in and out or you're going back to your house to check the locks over and over. So, you know, you're you're late or you're missing sleep or you're you're canceling plans on people. Those are affecting functioning. You know, there's some people where their obsessive compulsive piece is about germs, um, per se, and you know, they can't leave their house or they have to constantly wash their hands. And it's one thing to say, hey, I'd like to be clean. Let me just quickly wash my hands versus I'm washing and I'm washing and I'm washing and my hands are now um, chapped and raw and red. Or, you know, I need to shower anytime I'm around someone where I spend my whole day in the shower or I'm using the entire family's worth of Costco size, you know, toilet paper. So yeah. it's, there's little things that people do that they say like, oh, that's my little quirk that I do that's either a little OCD, you know, people throw yeah. that around versus this is truly affecting my functioning and I can't get to school or work or I can't even leave my house um, because I'm doing this um, compulsion and it's truly affecting my my life and function. And I, I think you you uh, gave a great definition because you mentioned 
you know, OCD type or personality versus the disorder where it sounds like it's okay if you go back and maybe check the lock once or twice, Mm -hmm. just make sure the door's really shut or something versus, you know, this is something really more serious, like you said, that affects your life or you're late Mm -hmm. for work or you don't show up or, or you don't, you know, um, you know, meet people that you're supposed to. Um, When you look, let's look just quickly, maybe for parents who might be watching for children, are there certain things in a child though we should watch out for that might be, um, you know, signs that they should be further looked into as a child? So something I I see a lot, um, I see it with kids and adults, but kids sort of notice it differently are, you know, the obsession and the compulsive thoughts come more like, um, like intrusive thoughts. So, you know, a lot of times kids will say that they're having thoughts that pop into their mind and they don't know where they came from and they don't like them. They certainly are bothersome and sometimes they're embarrassed of them and they're afraid of them. Um, and so like, they won't always bring them up right away, but they want to, you know, they're, they're noticing these things that like, if they feel like they have to say something or do something or, or that they have to think about something that's upsetting to them. Um, that's often something that is, is indicative of, um, an obsessive compulsion. Sometimes the compulsions have to do with, with eating foods. So if you're noticing changes in, you know, eating behaviors and feeding behaviors of worrying about like expiration dates a lot, or, you know, something's not packaged. Is that, is that poisoned? Is that something, you know, or finding that they have to count things, or if you see your child in the bathroom for hours and hours and hours, and they're not just putting on their, you know, skincare or makeup or whatever, um, things to sort of explore if they're, if you're noticing that it's harder for them to get moving or to get going, you know, sometimes we want to explore, is this anxiety? Is this depression? Is this an, an OCD? And, and, and it's a hard diagnosis sometimes to make. So if you're noticing a change in behavior in your child of any kind, it's always, again, it's always appropriate to bring it up to your doctor and say, Hey, I'm noticing these things. Like, what do you think's going on here? Um, because can't expect, you know, the whole population to be an expert in, in the DSM diagnostics. Yes. So if you're noticing a change in your in your child's behavior that's out of the norm for them, um, and it's not just a situational thing that lasts like for a weekend or after a couple days, you know, if it's more of a pattern, then it's it's definitely worthwhile checking into it. Doesn't hurt to ask, like totally. you said, you know. And sometimes so, it, it's a nothing and sometimes it's yeah, worth exploring right. further. Either way, you know, it, mm-hmm. it hopefully would make you you feel better, maybe your child right. feel better if you're looking right. into it in that. Yeah. Uh, the same thing with OCD as in ADHD. Um, genetic, hereditary? Definitely genetic in the factor that, so OCD is under the same umbrella as many of the anxiety disorders. So I definitely see people with OCD who also have family members with OCD, but I, I often will see people with OCD have family members for sure that have anxiety disorders. Um, if someone in your family has OCD, someone else in the family is very much more likely to have any type of anxiety disorder. Um, and sometimes that may be a generalized anxiety, specific anxieties, another obsessive compulsive disorder, eating, you know, challenges, <coughs> anything under that, you know, sort of umbrella. So we definitely do see genetic component to that. And do you see, um, would you say for OCD, do you see more adults or children from, you know, the OCD side of the, of the spectrum, so to speak? 
I see both. I mean, I primarily work with kids, so I definitely see as it's starting out with people, mm -hmm. but I do see people into adulthood. Um, and this is one of those kinds of diagnosis that I do find to be a little more chronic. And some people tend to find more ways of compensating. And, you know, with good treatment, with the right therapy and medication, um, it definitely, you know, you certainly have the ability to um, live a normal life and function and do really well. But it is something that I see more frequently that you sort of keep up with that treatment. Right. So if someone is watching and maybe they're not OCD, maybe they are and want to, you know, or are thinking, hmm, I do do that a lot. But is there some words of wisdom to say if someone says, or if there's a habit they want to try to break, you know, or something where they feel like, you know, yeah, they, they check the door too much of this. Is there some words of wisdom to say to help the person? Like, you know, why am I doing that? What, you know, what causes you to, I mean, I, I, you're of course the expert. So that's why I kind of put it out there for you, but. So, I mean, I like to make sure that everybody knows, you know, whether it's ADHD or OCD or anything else, this is no different than any other kind of diagnosis, whether it's, you know, a diabetes or a cholesterol issue or strep throat. You know, this is all something that's happening within our body system. There's a very specific area of the brain that is triggered when you're having anxiety or OCD thoughts or ADHD behaviors that... <clears throat> It's not sort of a willful way of sort of being a challenge or difficult, that it is something that's happening within your brain structure and your brain chemistries, and it's not your fault. You're not doing anything wrong. You can totally live a normal life. There's lots of things that you can do, and especially when it comes to OCD, there's very good therapies, exposure response therapy, um, cognitive behavioral therapies, and other different types of people that specialize in OCD that can really help to challenge those thoughts and rein it in quite a bit. Um, there's a lot of clinics that are doing many different kinds of trials on different medications and different ways of approaching OCD, um, and they're making lots of progress with it. Sometimes it can be a challenge, but it's not an impossible, you know, situation. Right. And I, I think one of the things that I'm taking away that, you know, you mentioned too, with when, when we've been talking now, ADHD and OCD, it, it's just like other, other things we deal with, high cholesterol, you know, diabetes, right. there's signs, symptoms, treatments, it's happening within our bodies. It's nothing abnormal. This, you know, everybody has something that I'm sure that they're, they're mm -hmm. challenged with and so on. Um, so I really appreciate, um, Dr. Weingarten, all your expertise and sharing that with us. And I do want to highlight, um, you know, you are a therapist at the Birmingham Maple Clinic, and it is my understanding that they're celebrating, or you are, the whole, you know, team there, 50 years, which is just amazing. Can you comment a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so Birmingham Maple Clinic, uh, is a nationally accredited uh, private outpatient mental health clinic. Um, there's a team of highly experienced and specialized therapists, clinical social workers, psychologists, and psychiatrists. I'm uh, actually a child and adolescent psychiatrist. Um, and, and late this fall, we kicked off our 50th anniversary celebrating longstanding exceptional reputation, providing behavioral and mental health treatment to individuals from infancy all the way through till the end of life. Um, expertise in our clinic um, includes 50 different specialties that range from ADHD, trichotillomania, ADHD, OCD, the whole gamut. Um, we know a lot's changed in the world since the clinic has started and even over the last several years. Um, 
but several things have remained consistent with our clinic. Dedication to providing the highest quality of mental health treatment, um, upholding strict standards of confidentiality, privacy, um, providing professional education and development opportunities to advance, you know, cutting edge skills with the clinical staff and just continuing to be a family, you know, working together. Right. Well, thank you for sharing that, because that, that is a huge milestone, um, as you mentioned, nationally accredited. And, you know, I think over 40 now, you know, therapists that are there that can mm -hmm. help people um, every day and as it's growing. And, uh, you know, I've seen your website. I've seen all those. Things. I mean, it's every gamut is covered of Absolutely. what could help anyone, whether you're younger or older mm -hmm. or something. So Dr. Uh, Brooke Weingarten, I really appreciate you being on the show today. I thank you so much for your time and what you do for all your um, patients and clients and that. Uh, thank you again for being with us. Thank you so much. And I'd like to thank you, our audience, for watching. I hope you have a great, wonderful day and a healthy day. And uh, I'm Cindy Keynes. Have a wonderful day.